I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and then we will begin our time. We read in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, these words. Then the disciples came, to, came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and the one and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they, have, they can barely hear. And their eyes, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they, are, they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Saints, this evening, uh, we want to consider uh, an aspect of the life of Christ, the life and ministry of Jesus, that many speak of, but I think us don't really take time to consider the theological implications of what's actually happening. Very much like the transfiguration account, or the miracles that we learned about a few weeks back. That when we read of the miracles, we just think they're miracles. There's no theological underpinning to them. Or the transfiguration, that is just something that happened, but there's no real theological significance to it. And I hope that what you've seen from our study in the miracles of Christ, but also the transfiguration of Christ, that there, are, there is a world of theology in those two things, in the miracles of Christ, where we see that when Christ heals someone physically, it's also more so pointing to him healing someone spiritually. And then at the Mount of Transfiguration, where we see the, the glory that the Son has shared with the Father from all eternity, that glory ever so slightly breaks through the human vesture of Jesus Christ. We see that in the transfiguration that there is a great warning for us that there are three disciples who saw the glory of Jesus. But then a few weeks later, they will deny that they ever knew Jesus. Peter will say, I never knew the man three times. And very much like us, when we hear of a glorious sermon and we are presented by faith the glory of Christ, 
And then throughout the week, we can live like we don't even know Christ. There are some rich and deep theological meanings and implications to the life and ministry of Christ. And same goes for our lesson this evening, which we will speak of the parables of Christ. The parables of Jesus Christ. Why do a lesson on the parables of Christ? Well, because about one-third of the teachings of Jesus are in parables. In fact, I think it's safe to say that there is not one time where Jesus preached a sermon when he did not teach or utilize or speak in a parable. Now, when you think about parables, if someone was to ask you, what do you how would you define a parable? What do you think of when you think of the parables of Christ? What would you say? Many of us will probably go to our favorite parables. This is what I say. But when we consider the parables of Christ, there are some things that we must not think of, and there's some things that we must think of. So what do we not mean when we say the parables of Christ? When we speak of the parables of Christ, we don't mean that the parables of Christ are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's how many people think of the parables of Christ. It's an earthly story with a grand heavenly meaning. When we speak of the parables of Christ, we want to think that they are just merely moral stories. And that's it. That there are moral illustrations for us to follow and that Jesus is only concerned with teaching us what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. Now, there is some morality to the parables of Christ, no doubt. But they're not strictly about what's right and what's wrong. So what is a parable? Well, the Hebrew meaning of the word parable is wise utterances. Wise utterances. In the Greek, the word parable can refer to uh, riddles or proverbs, or secrets. Others define parables as illustrations because the term parable literally means to throw alongside of. So you're telling, you're trying to get through someone a truth. In order for you to, for them to understand this truth better, you, you throw alongside an illustration. Many of you have done that before. But I think when we see the parables of Christ, all of these definitions come into play. That Jesus did use illustrations. He did use wisdom. He did teach a little bit of morality. But the question I want to answer this evening is, why did Jesus speak in parables? Why did Jesus speak in parables? If about one-third of the sermons of Christ are in parables, in fact, you can't read a gospel without reading one parable, then why did Jesus Christ speak in this manner? Well, let me just give you two reasons why. Number one, Jesus tells parables because in line with Scripture, his message blinds, deafens, and hardens. Jesus tells parables because in line with Scripture, his message blinds, 
deafens and hardens. And secondly, Jesus tells parables because in line with Scripture, his message reveals things hidden in Scripture. Because in line with Scripture, his message reveals things hidden in Scripture. Let's consider the first reason. Jesus tells parables because in line with Scripture, his message blinds, deafens, and hardens. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verses 13, verses 10 through 15 say this. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For these people's hearts have grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, least they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal them. The disciples come to Jesus, and they're curious. They ask, why do you speak this way? Now, it's an interesting question that they ask Jesus, because if they know their Old Testament, Speaking in parables is not something that Jesus himself created. But in fact, we see parables in the book of Ezekiel. We see parables in various points in the Old Testament. So Jesus speaking in parables is not something that's unique to him. They ask, why do you teach this way, Lord? And the answer that Jesus gives is quite strange, is it not? It's a very weird answer. He says, I speak to them because seeing they do not see. What kind of answer is that? They're asking him, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Because seeing they do not see. He doesn't say, I speak to them because I speak to them in this way so even little children can understand or, or people like entertaining stories. But he gives them the opposite reason. I speak to them because seeing, they do not see. In Mark and Luke's gospel, it reads, so that seeing, they may not see. In other words, Jesus speaks in parables so that some will hear his teaching and some will see the coming of the kingdom of God, but not truly hear and not truly see. Sort of like when you're talking to your children and you say, my father said this to me all the time, that you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. They're hearing him, but they're not hearing him. They're seeing what he's saying, but they're not truly seeing what he's saying. So basically... Is Jesus saying that he preaching and tells parables for failure? It seems that's what he's saying, is it not? That when he preaches that none will come to faith, none will come to repentance because he's doing this because he doesn't want them to see. He doesn't want them to hear. 
Is Jesus saying that he should be a failure in all this? Now, to understand Christ's reasoning, we must understand the Old Testament passage that Jesus Christ quotes. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, and hear me now, this is going to make a lot more sense when we get to why Jesus speaks this way. In Isaiah 6, we have one of the most amazing sights recorded in Scripture, do we not? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah sees the Lord. One of the most marvelous, grand scenes in all of Scripture it's almost a lichen, if not on par with Ezekiel's vision. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the, the train of his robe fills the temple. And then he sees these seraphim, these creatures flying. They cover their feet, they cover their eyes. And then when Isaiah sees the Lord, all he can say is, Woe to me! I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, this is very interesting. Because in Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, Woe to him. But leading up, he's been saying, Woe to everyone else. He's been saying, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who stay up all night and get drunk. But then when he sees the Lord, he says, Woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. Then we have recorded for us a live coal is taken from the altar and places it upon the lips of Isaiah. Symbolically, it takes away his sin. And it is at this point the Lord speaks. He says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah answered, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah answers the Lord's call of who will go for us. And God says, Go. But it's interesting what God says next. He says, go, and this is what you say. Hear this. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Here's your commission, Isaiah. Make the heart of this people dull and make their eyes heavy, and blind their eyes, make their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Imagine hearing that at your ordination service. Imagine hearing that type of instruction by the Lord. You're fired up to go preach, you say, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Tell me what to do. I'll go. The Lord says, make the heart of this people dull. 
and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. You want to go? That's what you do. Saints, how would you respond to such a charge? The Lord has just healed you. He's commissioned you, but not in a way that I'm sure you have thought. Now, you might respond the way that Isaiah did. He said, how long, O Lord? Wouldn't you ask that question? How long should I go and make the ears heavy and these people's eyes blind? How long? When will I see revival? When will I see one convert? When will I see fruit from my ministry? The Lord's response to Isaiah says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the Lord and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. How long? Until the cities lie waste. And if they rebuild, they're going to be reburned. The Lord is essentially telling Isaiah, in your lifetime of ministry, you will see little to no fruit. In your lifetime of ministry, although you will stir some to faith, your job is to blind the eyes of men, to dull the hearts of men, to deafen the ears of men because you were going to preach the truth. One theologian says, the Lord tells Isaiah his prophetic ministry is designed in God's mysterious plan to produce division in the nation between the unrepentant and repentant. In other words, when Isaiah preaches, there is going to be a wide, clear, visible chasm and gulf between the repentant and the unrepentant. In Isaiah's preaching, he is going to separate the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. And friends, this is what Jesus quotes and has in mind when he explains to his disciples why he speaks in parables. Jesus, in other words, is taking up Isaiah's commission and reveals that his ministry will produce the same effect. And when we consider the life and ministry of Christ, is that this not a clear feature of it? Jesus goes to his hometown, preaches one sermon. What happens? They want to kill him. He says in Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. In John 8, 45, Jesus said to the people of his own day, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Now notice what he says there. He doesn't say, although I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. But... He puts it in a way that's a causal statement. 
because I tell you the truth. You do not believe me. It is because Jesus tells the truth that men don't believe. It's because Isaiah told the truth that men don't believe. Jesus is saying precisely that's precisely the truth is what guarantees unbelief. You guys know that, right? That truth can only do two things. In fact, it guarantees two things. It either guarantees that some will believe and guarantees that some will not believe. This is essentially what Jesus is doing in his life and ministry as he's preaching. This is what he's saying. That Jesus in his earthly ministry is picking up Isaiah's commission to harden the hearts of men. To deafen the ears of men. To blind the eyes of men. Note this. Not because he's trying to blind the eyes of men. And not because he's trying to harden the hearts of men. But because he desires to preach the truth. It's the truth and the truth alone that hardens men's hearts, that dulls men's hearts, that blinds their eyes, that deafens their ears. In other words, we can say that Jesus fulfills Isaiah's commission in his earthly ministry. He's harking back to what the Lord said to Isaiah. And he's saying, I will take that upon myself. So that is the first reason why Jesus preached in parables, because in line with Scripture, his message blinds, deafens, and hardens, because he speaks the truth. The second reason why Jesus spoke in parables, and the last reason, because in line with Scripture, his message reveals things hidden in Scripture. Matthew 13, verses 34 through 35 say this, All these things said, Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. You see from these, these two examples that Jesus is just walking the Old Testament. He's a walking fulfillment of the Old Testament. I mean, it's just so natural for him to fulfill the Old Testament. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, is revealing the mystery of the kingdom of God. George Ladd says, Mystery designates the secret plans, thoughts, and dispensations of God that are hidden from the human reason, as well as from all other comprehensions below the divine level, and hence must be revealed to those for whom they were intended. However, the mystery is proclaimed to all, even though only those who believe will understand it. All are summoned to faith. But hear this, but only those who respond are shown to have spiritual perception and understanding. All can hear the gospel, but only some will respond to the gospel. Now, let's think about the kingdom of God for a second. Specifically, how the Jews thought of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God would be established. The Jews expected the kingdom to come in a big bang. Not the way that Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. Not the way that he spoke of the kingdom of God. They expected the kingdom of God to come in all of its glory and grandeur. 
that the throne of David would be restored, the Jews would be triumphant, and the Romans would be overthrown. That's how they thought the kingdom of God would be inaugurated. That's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. Instead, from the mouth of Christ, the kingdom comes in strange ways, does it not? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of a meal till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. That's strange. If you are a Jew, hearing that's how the kingdom is going to be, It's not going to come in a big bang, but it's going to be gradual over time. It will grow from a bud to a beautiful grand tree. Saints, these are the mysteries of the kingdom of God that Jesus taught. That the kingdom of God is going to be something gradual, spiritual, Jesus uses parables to teach the kingdom itself. For example, Jesus used parables to teach the growth of the kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown and it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus teaches that the... Uh, teaches parables to teach that the kingdom of God is like uh, the great value of the kingdom of God he teaches. Matthew thirteen forty four: the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus uses parables to teach that, that who will be the heirs of this kingdom. Isn't that what we all want to know? This kingdom is going to be gradual. It's going to be grand. It's going to be glorious, but who's invited? Who are the heirs of the kingdom? You can read Matthew 13, the wheat and the tares, for that. You can read Matthew 21, the wicked vine dressers. You can read Matthew 22 about the wedding feast. These parables are what Jesus used to teach the mysteries of the kingdom. You see, and when I say mysteries of the kingdom, it's not as if the Jews got it wrong which they did. But they didn't see hard enough. The kingdom of God and Jesus speaking of the kingdom this way has always been there, even in the Old Testament. The Jews just never wanted to open their eyes to it. So when Jesus speaks in parables, when he speaks this way, what is he ultimately doing? He's judging them. He's judging them for their unbelief. He's judging them for the years and years and years of hard hearts that they had. The years and years and years of adultery. What he's saying ultimately is the kingdom of God is not about a national ethnic people. Christianity is not about Israel. It's about Christ, who is true Israel. 
and all those who are found in Christ are united to Christ by faith, by the Spirit, are true Israel. Your father is Abraham, okay. But ours is Jesus Christ. By teaching the mysteries of the kingdom, he's not teaching that the kingdom of God is about overthrowing the Romans. The little old Romans. For what? To have a certain land? To have some sort of advantage in the world? But rather it's about overcoming sin and the devil. That is what Jesus came to do. He did not come to overthrow some sort of ethnic people or nation or some sort of empire. He wasn't concerned with Caesar. He was concerned with our sin. Teaching of the mysteries of the kingdom, Christ teaches us that God is not going to establish the kingdom and simply rule over Jerusalem. But rather, God in Christ is going to inaugurate the kingdom of God and he's going to rule over the entire globe. And he shall reign until every single enemy is placed under his feet. That is what Jesus teaches about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom that will one day turn into a physical and present kingdom. So, what have we learned this evening in summary? Jesus speaks in parables because in line with Scripture, his message hardens, deafens, and blinds. And because in line with Scripture, his message reveals things hidden in Scripture. Now, what are some takeaways from this? How can we listen to this lesson and apply this lesson to our lives? Well, let me give you three ways. Number one, when we think about the parables of Christ, we see that Jesus Christ is the last and final prophet. He is the fulfillment of every single prophet. But notice, not merely their office, but their message. Jesus fulfills that. He, he cuts to the very core of what you believe when he preached in parables. He separated, just as the prophets do, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. And Jesus never apologized for it. Secondly, we see that Jesus, by speaking in parables, showed that there was always going to be opposition with regard to the truth. We have learned that Isaiah's great commission was to preach the truth. And in doing so, he is going to blind eyes, deafen ears, and hard hearts. Jesus says, I do that to blind eyes, to deafen ears, to harden men's hearts. That is why I preach the truth. And what we see is that the truth is something that we cannot budge on, saints. Especially in this world that we're living in today. When truth is so subjective, is it not? Your truth versus my truth. 
Just as Pastor Antonio said this morning, though, there is always to be an objective moral standard. There is always something higher than our own opinion. And friends, for the sake of truth, what we see in the life of Christ is that we risk being offensive. You think Jesus didn't offend people? For the sake of the gospel, we must risk being those who are shunned, those who are labeled outcasts, those, when I was growing up, being labeled as Jesus freaks. This is what truth does. Truth is meant to divide. Truth is meant to separate the sheep from the goats. How do I know that? What's one example of that? Well, one example of that is when you go preach in the marketplace or evangelize. One example of that is when I preach and I see people sitting in the pews or in the chairs not giving one care of what I'm saying. The truth is meant to do two things. Deafen your ears or open your ears. And friends, for the sake of truth, in this life that we're living in, that we must risk at all costs to be offensive. And that's not to say that we're to say things in a, in a manner that gets people angry. Because the gospel itself is already offensive. The gospel itself already is meant to harden men's hearts and blind men's eyes so that they have no excuse. This is what we learn when we consider the truth that Jesus preached and why he spoke in parables. And lastly, when we consider the parables of Christ, we see the glorious gift of faith that God gives to believers. There are many that Christ spoke to and when he spoke, men hardened their hearts to such a point where they wanted to kill him. But then there's some that Jesus spoke to and followed Christ wherever he went. What we see in the ministry of Jesus Christ as he spoke in parables is that faith is a gift from God. Hearing, I mean truly hearing, seeing and truly seeing is a gift from God. I could not help but think of Matthew 16 when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am when I was studying for this? Some say Elijah, some say this prophet, some say this prophet. Then what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of God. But then what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This confession by Peter was not something that he dreamt up. It's not something that over years of studying he came to a conclusion on. But it's a divine gift from the Father 
What does St. John say in his prologue? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Simply put, your salvation, if you are saved, is not of your own doing. It doesn't matter how fast you run, how well you trim your hair, how best you can put makeup on, how best you can dress, how much you can give, how much you can pray, how much you can read. Salvation is not something you can earn. But faith in Christ alone is something that is given. It is given to us. And friends, many of you right now are nodding your heads, you're amening in your hearts and with your lips. And you shouldn't take those things lightly. Every chance you get to amen should not be a light thing. Because there are many people who will sit in those chairs and listen to me and not say one word. But it's been given to you to say amen. It's been granted to you to understand. What a glorious gift we have from the Father, right? A gift of faith that we can understand and we can know the mysteries of God. I want to end with this last verse that. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your eyes, RBC, those who are of the faith, those who are taking in everything that I'm saying. Blessed are your ears, brothers and sisters of the faith, for your ears hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. Have you ever thought of that? The prophets long to hear the message that you hear every Sunday morning. And did not see it and did not hear what you hear. But you hear and you see. Glory be to God. Glory be to him alone. And friends, as we consider all of what we have said this evening... The only thing I must tell you now is go and preach the truth. Take the commission that was given to Isaiah and the commission that, was, that Jesus took upon himself. And when you do preach the truth, I need you to realize one simple thing. That for some, you will be a sweet fragrance of life. And to some, you will be a stench of death. Blessed are those who hear your words and hear and see a sweet fragrance of life and woe to those who hear your words and smell and see a stench of death. Preach the truth, saints. Let's pray.